Welcome to Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. In this series of conversations, hosted by Calvin Institute of Christian Worship staff members, we invite you to explore connections between the public worship practices of congregations and the dynamics of Christian life and witness in a variety of cultural contexts, including places of work, education, community development, artistic and media engagement, and more. Our conversation partners represent many areas of expertise and a range of Christian traditions, offering insights to challenge us as we discern the shape of faithful worship and witness in our own communities. In this episode, Palestinian Christian, professor and pastor, Munther Isaac, shares with John Whitfleet how the use of technology brought worship into homes and opened up new possibilities for services, Bible studies, and more during the COVID-19 crisis in Palestine. So pleased today to be in conversation with Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac. Welcome to this conversation. And I'm wondering if we could begin by simply asking you, Munther, to say a word about your current context of ministry, filled with so many opportunities for faithful witness, but also challenging context too. So would you be open to just giving us a brief introduction? Thank you, John. My name is Munther. Maybe a little bit about myself. I am a Palestinian Christian from Beit Sahur. Beit Sahur is a little town five minutes away from Bethlehem, known for uh, being the place of the shepherds, known as the shepherd's field. It's historically where we believe the angels appear to the shepherds. I studied here in Palestine engineering before sensing a calling to go to ministry. And my journey took me to Westminster Theological Seminary in the United States. I studied there for three years and then came back to Bethlehem and began teaching at Bethlehem Bible College, and I've been with them since then. During those years, I worked on my PhD through the Oxford Center for Mission Studies. My theme or my study was on the uh, theology of the promised land, and was published with Langham in a book called From Land to Lands. And through uh, the Bible College, we've worked on a conference called Christ at the Checkpoint that I've been directing since 2010. And when I finished my PhD and spent a year in England, and when I came back, I joined the the Lutheran Church. And the Bible College, so that you know, is is more in line or more within the evangelical tradition. The Lutheran Church here, or the Evangelical Lutheran Church, is a less, more mainline Protestant church. So I made that shift, which was interesting for the topic of our conversation, from a setting where I'm used more to informal contemporary worship into a more liturgical worship. I moved to that church in 2013, was ordained in 2016. Right now, I pastor the church in Bethlehem, Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. And I also could call me interim pastor for the Lutheran Church in our town, Beit Sahur, because they don't have a pastor. So it's interesting running between two churches. And at the same time, the academic dean of, of the Bible College, in addition to a lot of uh, the advocacy and conferences work. So that's life here, very busy. Half of it is in pastoral work. One third is in 
the academy and one third is in advocacy. I know the math doesn't result in one full-time job, but that's reality here. Yeah, probably two or three jobs there, I think. But what, what a joy, I think, in our work we find in living within those different worlds and trying to connect them, the academy to the church, church informed by the academy, all with you know outward-facing witness and voice in a larger world. So we're grateful for you in Thank your you. ministry. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about the disruption that COVID-19 has caused in these worlds for you and what that experience has been like. And then perhaps out of that, we'll, we'll talk again about, you know, worship and the like. Yes. So, of course, since March, pretty much life has changed completely here in, in Bethlehem and, of course, around the world. What it meant for us in Bethlehem first We've went through uh, almost two months of strict quarantine, meaning we didn't leave the house. And we only left to buy goods. As clergy here in Bethlehem, the authorities allowed us to travel freely, to go to church, to visit people if needed, uh, and mainly to distribute support. A lot of my own work shifted from you know, the norm into social work, assisting families, organizing with grassroots movements that wanted to help needy families. Because in Bethlehem, so many people lost their job like this because of tourism. Uh, A big number of people depend entirely on tourism, and they didn't have any safety blanket. In other words, they would live by the day, uh, day after day. So losing your only source of income was and still is devastating for many families. Church-wise, we shifted also into online services which was very strange in the beginning. In fact, you know, when we began, I I thought, let's just do 15 minutes, a message from the pastor, and then let's have one hymn. And then, you know, gradually we shifted into the full service. And, you know, I can tell you what the feedback is. And, you know, it's been interesting to see how many new homes we've reached, but how much people appreciated it, especially the the older uh, generation. When it comes to the Bethlehem Bible College, everything shifted into online teaching. We've already had a strong online program for those who lived outside of Palestine, but from you know, beginning from March, we shifted into online teaching and finished the semester in that way. Right now, we're dealing with so many unpredictabilities. We're really living day by day, and when it comes to church service week by week, for example, this Sunday, we didn't do any service face-to-face. I, I went alone and used our technology. But before that, you know, next week, we don't know what we're going to do. I'm always in touch with my elders just to see. And it depends on the number of cases in Bethlehem, whether church members have been in touch with these people who caught COVID-19 and so on. Wow. So earlier you described your own journey from a less liturgical tradition to a, a more liturgical tradition. How has that been, you know, how's that been for you, first of all, in your own journey? and then? How has that shaped the church's response to COVID? Do you notice differences across traditions? And and especially out of this new, more liturgical context, you know, how has that been an element or a dynamic in guiding your improvisation from week to week? Yeah. To me, the, uh, the biggest change that I really appreciate and that I really find really important between the two contexts or the two settings is that in a more liturgical setting, it's clear that this is a God-centered worship rather than my personal emotions and 
how I feel and uh, about the individual. You know, having a psalm read every Sunday, the confession where not only we confess our sins, but the gospel is preached every Sunday through the confession and the words of absolution. All of that is just being, you know, even though we do it week by week, but it's so important to me and it's so refreshing. The fact that we confess and say things together is also being very, very important and, and, and life-changing. Uh, certainly, I, I can speak a lot also about my appreciation of the sacraments, of the mystery element of the sacraments, as opposed, as I said, to a more feeling-oriented or personal-oriented uh, evangelical worship. And, and keep in mind, many times we, we simply, especially within the evangelical and Protestant tradition, we first of all, we inherit things from, from the missionaries from the West. And I happen to be from a second generation kind of in the evangelical movement, and I've been able to think critically. So I still, you know, teach at the Bible college and I'm, you know, I still speak as an evangelical, but feel more comfortable worshiping in a, let's call it a Lutheran setting. But as I said, one of the things that I've come to see in the evangelical worship is so many times I felt it is focused on the person, on the individual, rather than speaking about God, you know, even the mystery of who God is, how we can't comprehend God and how he offers himself to us, uh, for example, in the sacraments. When I consider the words of the hymns and so on, that's another thing. And by the way, in our church, music is divided into half. So we sing with the organ. We sing traditional hymns that are translated, hymns that are in very strong Arabic, very poetic and so on. But we also sing contemporary music. And I think once you look into contemporary music, it's a big pool. A lot yeah. of it in the Arab world is, is written in Egypt, or most of it is written in Egypt, some in Jordan and Lebanon. But it's a huge pool, and you can actually select very good and very, I don't know, in your context, but in our context, there is plenty of beautiful contemporary music. One of the things I've learned is, you know, the volume of singing almost doubles between hymns and the contemporary music. People love the contemporary music. They love to sing. Maybe uh, our church in general, they love to sing. But you could tell the difference because of the melody, the tune is more oriental. And people feel that more than traditional hymns, uh, if I may say. So we do a good mix. In other words, it's not that I am completely against or rejecting new styles of worship, but that's, that's a different. COVID-19 has allowed us to bring our worship into homes. Mm. And that's the message I've heard from people. They love the fact that the Psalms, uh, the gospel was read in their house mm. as they were listening. Certainly they enjoy my preaching or so they tell me, but let's just say they're honest. But honestly, what they like the most is the singing and the music and the reading of scripture in their homes. Mm. And they tell me, they sing along. They say, we listen, we, we follow the whole service Elderly people really appreciate it because they were not able to come to church in normal circumstances. We ended up installing a, a nice system in our church with different cameras and a sound system just to be able to reach more homes, sensing that this is really a needed, a needed ministry. But again, you know, what resonates more with people is not that was a powerful sermon, 
even mm-hmm. though, you know, yeah. maybe they, they did appreciate the sermon, but it's the fact that church life came into their homes. And I, mm-hmm. I really think of that a lot. Mm. And what is your approach to the sacraments, Lord's Supper, baptism uh, during this time? This is what I always say about, for example, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a confirmation of the real presence of God with us. And it's very fitting because we preach about this in Bethlehem. So when I, when I, you know, when we do the Lord's Supper, I sometimes remind the congregation, the miracle of Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, is not over. Here in Bethlehem, we should know better than anybody else that the, the real presence of God with us is, is so important. That's what it means to me more than anything. The fact that it is Christ who offers himself to us and that he is fully present in the, in the sacraments. In our church, there are many, you know, we do it once a month and there is always the debate whether we should do it once a week or once a month. But there are many who, if they are not able to be in the service the day of the Lord's Supper, at the beginning of the month usually, they would not stop calling me until I go to their home. Mm. to to off you know to do the service in their home because to them it's it's essential to stay kind of in fellowship with Jesus in a, in, a, in a direct connection so it's certainly more than a memory for example or just a remembrance and it's certainly more than just a spiritual exercise the actual real presence of god is is at heart for us here keep in mind we are a little community we are a number-wise, yes, with so many activities and schools and a university college and theological centers and uh, with a big impact in our town. But nevertheless, we are, you know, the Christian community in general and the Lutheran one. So to have the assurance of God's presence is, is so comforting. I think mm-hmm. that's at least the way I look at the sacraments. Yeah, powerful. You are listening to Public Worship in the Christian Life, Conversations for the Journey, a podcast produced by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Check out our website at worship.calvin.edu for resources related to this topic and many other aspects of public worship. And what choices have you made about Lord's Supper and baptism here during the last six months with COVID? So many churches doing such different things, fasting from the Lord's Supper, engaging online in some ways. And, you know, the Protestant world has so many different practices and approaches. Yeah, we discussed it a little bit among ourselves and actually concluded, you know, we played with the idea of having people bring wine and bread in their house and repeating with us but didn't go along with it. For the first three months, it was just me in the church with my organist and the camera people and so on that would do it. Later, you know, we invited people to church and asked for strict safety measurements. You know, it was strange because, you know, at one point we had to, one person stand in front of of me offering the bread and the wine and make people sanitize their hands before I present uh, to them with my mask on, the bread and the wine. But honestly, for a stretch of almost three months, we did not have it. And some older generation people actually complained mm. 
between us and the, our bishop, we took the difficult decision of not taking any risks. You know, we, we discussed and I said, Bishop, I can go to their homes. And he's like, so what if you contracted from one home to the other? That's the last thing we want. So we encouraged people, you know, something about how to take the Lord's Supper in distance, okay. em- emphasizing that God is not limited to, to place. Yes. What, if you think ahead, you know, imagine in the future now, we look ahead two or three years, do you have an intuition already about some things that churches are learning, especially about worship, but other, other dimensions of church life that will not end when COVID is, when we are past it? You know, if we do get vaccinate, vaccines and other things, are there some things, are we just going to be going back to the church life as we knew it, or will there be some more permanent changes because of things we're learning during this time? One of the things that, that might change is that it seems that more people feel comfortable with online services, which is not a good thing, honestly. But, you know, people already told me, please don't stop this after COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love it. Especially, as I said, not just old people, people from our church and the diaspora. I know people who tune in with the different time zones just, just to, to watch it. I think that's the, the first thing. But, but second, I think there, there would be an appreciation of fellowship, real fellowship with one another. Uh, coffee time in our church, in particular our church, it's interesting. Our service lasts mostly 50 minutes. Coffee time sometimes lasts for an hour. Yeah. So this is how much people enjoy being with one another. And by the way, just as a, as a footnote, it's been really interesting and challenging to shift from 50-minute sermons into 12- to 15-minute sermons. And I've been amazed of how much I can say actually in 12- to 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be long. You don't have to tell jokes or anything. Just, you know very focused message. There is certainly a new appreciation for our fellowship with one another, something that we've missed. And as I said, that's something we've already, so for for a whole month, the congregation met in person. That was in August. Mm. And gradually, you know, they began returning from 10 to 15 to 20, 30, even 40. And they wanted coffee, and but the elders said, no, no coffee. And I agreed with them. We don't want coffee. Let's just stay outside in, in our churchyard and talk there. But everybody complained. We'll wear masks and we'll stay in distance, but we want to go to the church hall again and sit and have coffee. So, again, I think that's what, what many people miss right now. Well, and there's something beautiful about that longing to be together. So... Yeah, something to celebrate there, even while it's a challenge to manage it for you and for for many others. I'd love to ask about your sense of how we can better support each other as brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world. And, you know, I think about in some contexts, it seems how little we know about each other across different cultural contexts, across different national borders. And then I think about how especially poignant that is for Palestinian Christians, and how much, if I may say, from the United States, how much ignorance about the Palestinian Christian church there is and the problems that that creates on so many levels. I wonder if you could just reflect a little bit on, especially now in this context of COVID, where there's more technological possibilities and engagement, 
just how we might move forward in encouraging better mutuality, awareness, and the like. Yeah, I think that technology, the COVID-19 opened the eyes of many about so many new possibilities. Among them is, for example, joint services. One of the things I've done is join congregations in their Bible studies on Sunday mornings, which would be Sunday evening our times. And there has been so much value in that. We are discussing with a partner church, how can we get even more advantage of the technology? And I think that that's something we should consider as churches. For example, it's much easier for me now to preach in a church in the United States, especially, for example, giving the time zones mm. than it used to be in the past because we're used to bringing in. I've done many webinars, and I think that's another thing people discovered, webinars. Now we're having conferences online, speaking in a conference on Saturday, so that's going to be a new experience. But I think the next step maybe is to consider, for example, having a sermon from Bethlehem or from Mm. Jerusalem and vice versa. I'm not sure if you've heard, but one of the interesting things our church has been doing for more than 10 years this is from the time of Reverend Mitri Rahib, who was before me, is what we call a simulcast service between Christmas Lutheran Church and the National Cathedral in Washington, Mm. where both of our churches will have big screens. Part of the service is done in Bethlehem, and then the next part is done in Washington, and we alternate. And usually there is a Christmas message from our bishop to not just the National Cathedral, but more than 40 congregations actually broadcast that service on their websites and Facebook pages. Some churches actually gather in the sanctuary and watch it live from the two places. At the time, you know, when I first joined, I thought that's the most unique, you know, very innovative idea. But I think that can be done more now and more churches would feel so much safe about it. Just one, one more observation This Monday, we've had a prayer for peace uh, organized by the World Council of Churches. I was the preacher, but I preached from my desk. And the service was, you know, organized and arranged in such a way. Everybody participated from the General Secretary of the World Council of Churches. We've had pre-recorded prayer requests and so on. And I think we will be seeing more of that in the future, more ecumenical gatherings in in the full sense of the word with ecumenical being, you know, global uh, from different parts uh, of the world. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. I think that certainly echoes, you know, conversations we're having in trying to discern what are the, the opportunities and and then also what, what do we need to know about each other to really make those online engagements rich and uh, well-informed and generative in all the right ways. So thank you. Like that's a, that's powerful. I, I would love to ask you also about this phrase that I've, I've picked up from some of the literature I've seen coming from a Palestinian context, which have used this phrase, the double lockdown, to refer to um, not only lockdown brought on by COVID-19, but in, in the context of occupation and the curfews that may result from time to time because of that, or the quarantines, in quotes, 
and then how these two things intersect in people's experience. What does that bring to mind and just the, the interaction between how the context there really, yeah, how, the, how these two lockdowns yeah. uh, intersect? Well, well sadly, it's, it's the fact that we're used to this and that, in a sense, this disruption in our life is, is, is more common here. The difference was that this time, those who are imposing the lockdown are our own people, so it was well-received. Uh, as opposed to other uh, experiences. I think that what we're seeing in general is that speaking from a more political activism sense, it's clear to me everywhere you look, those who are less fortunate or who are marginalized in general in society are the ones who suffered most from COVID-19 and the consequences of COVID-19. Whether it's about access to health system, to medication, to hospitals, to tests, or whether it's the economic consequences became clear that there is a clear inequality. You say inequality, the same tragedy hits people, but people suffer from it in, in different ways based on when they, where they stand. So I think that's, that's the thing that, you know, the first thing that I want to say. For us Palestinians, as I said, sadly, we're used to closures, we're used to this, and it's sad, it's sad that I say this, it's sad that this is a norm, and it's sad that, you know, we always joke here, you must always have plan B and plan C for everything. Mm. But, you know, sometimes you cannot even plan for, for the worst. So yes, it is a double lockdown in that we still live under occupation. And the, the impact, you know, of not having a strong state with a strong infrastructure, whether health care, health insurance, and so on, became so clear these days. Mm. Well, and then it, what strikes me is, as you say that, for all of us in so many different countries around the world to see ourselves through that lens and realize that those inequalities have been um, very central to the story in the United States and in many other countries, too. Yeah, certainly a, an invitation to, as you say, to advocacy and faithful public witness in ways that I think, you know, some of us are just beginning to understand and others have been practicing and living with for, for generations, certainly decades. I would like to thank you so much for the time today in the middle of your multiple duties to have this conversation. And I want to convey to you not only the best wishes, but the deep prayers for uh, the you. your ministries from those of us at Calvin University, Calvin Seminary, and the uh, students who are part of the explorations that we're engaging with uh, leaders from around the world. And I'll say uh, we look very much forward to future ways of learning from each other, with each other, about what faithful Christian witness and life looks like for all of us going forward. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit our website at worship.calvin.edu to learn more about the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, an interdisciplinary study and ministry center dedicated to the scholarly study of the theology, history, and practice of Christian worship and the renewal of worship in worshiping communities across North America and beyond.